What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Best Of. I'm your host, Ryan Satin, and I hope you all had a lovely Halloween weekend. I know I did. I got to see Danny Elfman last night at the Hollywood Bowl. It ruled, but I also got to dress up in costume. I was Triple H. It's been a good weekend, so I hope you had a good weekend as well. Now, if you had a busy week and you're here because you didn't get to hear all the shows on the podcast feed this week. I got you covered. First, we're going to start off with a little bit of the Raw round. Okay, so then we had Miz chasing after Johnny Gargano backstage. Miz angrily said that Johnny fooled him, but Gargano said Miz has been fooling everyone. He then rushed off to be with Candice, but gets cut off by JBL and Corbin. JBL says to show legends respect so gargano does while also calling out jbl's hammer pants from the week before gargano then points out all the different names corbin has had saying he doesn't know what to call him anymore and obviously this leads to a challenge for a match later in the night dude johnny is getting tons of tv time in this episode which is great he's been really fun in every segment he's been involved in and you know i think that there aren't a lot of people who can carry a show in the way Gargano has done in this episode. It's a, it's 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 a it's a, not an easy thing to be, you know, funny in a segment with our truth, serious in multiple segments, you know, with, with Miz, um, you know, you know, having quips with with JBL and Corbin, um, you know, having a good match with Corbin, which we'll get to. Um, this was like a real, from my perspective, a real push for Johnny Gargano tonight to, to, to see if he can be that one of those number one baby faces. And, I, and, and, and just, God, I love seeing the push for baby faces again. Baby faces and heels, not this areas of gray stuff. Baby faces and heels. It's like what wrestling was built on. We're getting clear-cut baby faces and heels again. That's how I feel. That's something I have noticed from watching the shows again. JBL and Corbin, clear-cut heels. Johnny Gargano, uh, you know, Johnny Gargano, clear-cut baby face. Mustafa Ali, baby face. You know, uh, uh, you know, Candice LeRae, baby face. You know, Bailey and Damage Control, heels. Bianca Belair, baby face. You know, there's no shades of gray that seems to all kind of be getting wiped away a little bit because you want baby faces versus heels. You want to root for the baby faces to defeat the heels. And I think one of the main things I saw for a long time when people were talking about WWE and I agreed with was that there weren't enough strong baby faces, people that you want to cheer for. It was all this shades of gray stuff where it was like, you decide, but then everybody ends up looking like a heel. And then if they're all heels, then who's the baby face? <sighs> Sorry, I got a little worked up there. But <laughs> that being said, I like that it seems to, to a, from my perspective, it appears like we're, 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 there's been more of a push to define who the baby faces are and who the heels are in a way that wasn't being done before. Next, we had Amos versus four local wrestlers. Before the match, MVP tells Braun Strowman that he hopes he's watching because after Crown Jewel... There will be only one monster in WWE, as you'd expect. Almost destroys them all, even when they try to gang up on him all at once. And eventually, Amos hits his finisher on one of the wrestlers. 
then drags a lifeless body of another uh, guy who was in the match on top of the wrestler he had done his finisher on to get a pinfall victory. Next, we had Chad Gable versus Elias. And don't get me wrong, Elias has wrestled good matches. But seeing him in this one where he was like chain wrestling and doing some different stuff from what he had been doing in the past when we when we had the character of Elias on TV was a nice change of pace. I mean, you know, oftentimes I've always felt like some of the wrestlers who'd get crap from the diehard audience of like, oh, this wrestler's not good enough or not you know, wrestling the matches, you know, five-star matches or whatever. And I and I and I think to myself like, well, but I think these people all have the ability to wrestle the matches that you see your favorite indie stars in or people outside of WWE. But I don't think it's what the boss wants, and I think that they're more focused on making the boss happy than making the general public happy to make sure that they keep their job like anyone who has a job. And now that the person in charge wants something different than the previous person who was in charge of creative, I think we're seeing some of the wrestlers get an opportunity to wrestle the style that they would like to wrestle. I've seen a distinct change when watching the programs from before, where before it always felt like everybody wrestled the same style. And that's what everyone wrestled, and that's what we watched. And it would frustrate me when I'd, when I'd, when I'd watch it and I'd think to myself, well, I like it when I'm watching different styles wrestle against each other or fight each other or whatever because it's it's a nice – you like to see, you know, what the chemistry is like or what the different – the clash of styles will look like. So when everyone's wrestling the same, it's not quite as interesting to me. Um, so now that we're kind of seeing a little more freedom from the wrestlers, we're seeing kind of like how they envision their wrestler – um, the, the style of their wrestler and and Elias here uh, was this was a nice change of pace man like Elias was really killing it in this match there was a cool spot where uh, Elias even reversed a moonsault from Gable in uh, with a knee to the face that looked awesome uh, and Gable was impressive as hell in this match too I mean he has really been shining in this Triple H era where all the matches where you think he would just be enhancement talent maybe have not been the case. And he's actually been doing cool moves and and and, and showing up and, and doing stuff that, that you wouldn't expect him to be doing in, in the previous era where it would be like, oh, no, this person was there to make someone else look good. But that doesn't seem to be the case right now with the way they're using Gable and Otis. Gable is making himself look good in these matches, too. We're making his opponents look good, ba- as, good as well. Don't get me wrong. But he is really shining in a lot of these matches, and it's, it's, uh, it's really cool to watch. The finish... Saw Elias hit his finisher on Gable in the most brutal-looking fashion I think we've ever seen from him. And honestly, I kind of felt like this was a sleeper banger. This was a sleeper banger. Really enjoyed this one. Really enjoyed these two and their mix of styles. After the match, Otis quickly attacks. And as you can expect, Riddle scooters... Riddle? (laughs) Riddle scooter... Riddle Riddle scootered out to make the save. Next, we saw... The OC backstage in the trainer's room complaining about Rhea Ripley. Gallows says he's obviously the best one with women in the group, so he'll handle the situation with Rhea. They're like, dude, she body slammed you. And he's like, body slams. Body slams are my love language. Uh, AJ and Carl then note that he's terrible with women as he walks off to try and do something about it. And after the break, Gallows walks back in holding his nuts. 
And they all agree they have a Rhea problem that needs to be handled. Okay, so this was interesting to me. Um, so, that, call me crazy here, but this sounded to me like the OC might get a, a woman in the group. Am I crazy at that? Is that what you guys got from this? Why am I speaking in such a high voice? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Is that what you guys got from this? That's kind of what I got from this. When they said that, like, they have a problem, you know, a real problem that needs to be handled because they can't put their hands on no woman. So what are they going to do? Who do they add? Do you think they're going to add a woman to the bullet club? To the oh, Excuse me. To the OC? I don't know. You know, if they call themselves the OC... Because they're the original club, right? But there's no women in Bullet Club, to my knowledge. So I don't know who I'd be picking from. I mean, I guess that's not true. There's there's, there's a there's Ring Valet, there's a former Bullet Babe. But I don't think any of those ones are joining the group of who they're talking about. I wonder if it's someone from NXT, someone that hasn't been used as much. I'm trying to think like a who would go good with them. And no one has immediately come to mind. Next... Next, we had Baron Corbin versus Johnny Gargano. JBL heals it up for the crowd to introduce Corbin. Um, and, you know, I, I see in my replies when I've done interviews with Corbin where people in the comments act like he isn't good at wrestling. But I couldn't disagree more. And this was an example of it. This was great. Like I said before. You get to see someone like Corbin wrestling how he envisioned his character wrestling. We got to see heel and babyface dynamics. And to me, it just shows, once again, the gray area thing isn't as good. At one point, Corbin clears the announce table, but Johnny tosses him into the steel steps and gets on top of the table. Gargano picks up JBL's hat and taunts him atop the table then dives off the table to hit a spinning DDT on Corbin. This cracked me up. I love this. You know, like I said, Johnny Gargano had his night tonight. This was great night for Johnny Gargano where he just got to do all these things that show he has potential to be one of the top baby faces on the brand. I do feel that way, and I think that I had already felt that way just in general, but after watching tonight's episode, I'm like so much more confident of it. It's really hard to be that entertaining in one night in that many segments and not be feel like it'd be annoying. It'd be like something that you enjoy. So I, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, while the ref's back was turned, though, because of the whole hat situation, JBL knocks Johnny's legs out from underneath him, allowing Corbin to hit the end of days for the win. After that, Bianca Belair was backstage saying that a win tonight over Bailey will put an end to her feud um, that she's been having with damage control. An angry Johnny Gargano is approached by Miz backstage after that, and uh, he says that uh, he and Maurice got a get well soon card for Candice. I laughed at Johnny being like, "Well, that was okay. That was actually nice." Um, Miz says it's been a tough night for everyone, but maybe they can just put it all put all of this behind them. Like reasonable men, Johnny Gargano says the only reasonable thing to do would be to tell the truth. And if he doesn't, next week, he himself will tell everyone. Okay, I said we'll talk about it later. Let's talk about it. Like I said, 
Gargano killed it in this, but so did Miz. Miz did a great job of of going through a whole arc here of going for like, what do you know? What do you know? To, you know, go going around it, going back and forth. Clearly the character of the Miz is struggling with talking about this. He's struggling talking about this. And they made it show they, I think it was clear after tonight that Miz does kind of know what he did to Dexter Loomis. And he has been lying and he doesn't want to say. And with the tease from Johnny Gargano, I, I I am intrigued. I am intrigued to see where this is going now. I had harped on here a little bit that it was starting to become one-noted, that the, the Dexter Loomis thing was becoming just a tad bit one-noted because I wanted to know what was going to happen next, what his beef was with, with The Miz. And I understand with a character like Dexter Loomis, who is silent, it, it's a little bit of a... It's a, it's a bit more of a slow burn to get to something like that. Um, but because this is the first feud he's been in, in WWE, this has been like three months of this. However, I, I, this was exactly what I've been wanting. I want to know what's going on. Intrigue. I'm interested. Um, I'm assuming that Gargano is going to have to blow the whistle as he keeps teasing on The Miz. I'm interested. I think that, you know, if there's anyone else who had complained about lack of progression in the storyline like I had, you can't say that we didn't get that tonight. There was tons of progression when it came to this story. We found out that Miz has been lying, that there is clearly something going on. Champa is only injured at home. There's a lot happening here. A lot of pieces were put in place here, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes next week. And if we find out what Dexter Loomis's deal is with The Miz. And if we do find out next week, I'm interested in how that reveal happens. There's been a lot that's built up to this, and it better it better pay off in the long run in order to help Dexter start on the main roster be successful. Lastly, Bianca Belair for the Raw women's title. Bailey attempted to hit a KOD near the end of the match, but Bianca wiggled out and hit the Bailey to Belly instead. Bailey then tossed Bianca out of the ring, telling Io and Dakota to take the table apart. But Bianca drops them both with elbows, powerbombs Bailey onto the announce desk, picks her up while still in powerbomb position, slams her into the ring post, still has her in powerbomb position, and then drops her face first on the ring apron. Just the power and strength of Bianca is always so damn impressive when you see stuff like this you're just like god this this woman is just so damn talented and just such a freaking powerhouse now okay the finish is where things got a little wild the finish saw the ref attempt to kick eo and dakota out of the ringside area for getting involved when suddenly someone dove off the top rope Onto all three of them. But the refs can't see this person's face. They're confused. They're wondering what's happening. This makes it so that uh, Bailey can hit the rose plant. But Bianca reverses it into the KOD. However, since this person went all crazy from the top rope. There's no ref to make the count. Nikki Cross then gets into the ring. She's the person who dove and did the crossbody onto damage control. And the referee... But she's not there to help Bianca. She hits Bianca with her finisher 
allowing Bailey to get the pinfall victory. New champion, new Raw Women's Champion, Bailey. Before she can celebrate, though, Nikki pounces on Bailey as well. She was not there to help Bailey either. Uh, Graves says that uh, that this is the that this is uh, wait. Am I true? Wait, hold on a second. Am I true? This was for the Raw Women's Title, right? <laughs> it's been a long weekend. Okay, so let me just make sure. I could have sworn that was for the Raw Women's Title. Now I'm second guessing myself as I do this. Was it not for the Raw Women's title? I thought they said it was. Hold on a second, people. You're going to learn this in real time with me, even though you probably already know. Oh, wait. So, wait, wait. It wasn't for the Raw Women's title? Damn it. Look at me. All right. You know what, guys? I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say this. I got married last night in Vegas. It's been... 24 hours. It's been a little over 24 hours since then. Um, and uh, most people wouldn't be working after that. But I care so much about this podcast feed. So much about you guys hearing my opinions that I clearly wrote this down wrong. <laughs> I thought this was a Raw Women's title match. All right. Look it. I have one mistake here. I think I only had one mistake here. So I apologize. Not new champion. Uh, but Bailey does get the pinfall victory, so now she holds another win over Bianca Belair. Excuse me. I apologize. <laughs> right when I said that, new champ, I went, wait, I don't think it was. Now you guys get to learn. You guys get to hear it all in real time, me getting mad at myself and what happens in my brain. Uh, like I said, though, before Bailey can celebrate, Nikki pounces on her as well. And Graves says this is a side of Nikki we haven't seen in a long time. The announced team clearly goes hard on this being like the Nikki from NXT, which is what I had guessed uh, in an article on the Fox Sports website recently. It felt like that's where this whole Nikki Cross storyline was going. Or should I say Nikki A-S-H? Felt like things were changing within Nikki and that we were getting the Nikki of old. And that's what it seemed like here. So I think this was a solid main event. Next, here's a portion of my interview with Wade Barrett. Well, you you tweeted something, too, that I thought was cool. You said, uh, not going to lie, heading out on SmackDown and hearing my old theme for the first time in over six years. Spine tingling. Hashtag boom. How cool was that? Just to hear your theme and walk out to the crowd like that again. It was very cool. I used to, like, genuinely, it's six and a half years since I left. SmackDown uh, in 2016, the, uh, basically the Tuesday after WrestleMania that year was my, my final day with the company and I left. Um, my whole time in NXT, we haven't been doing entrance music or, or big grand entrances for the commentary team because it's such a quick transition between NXT level up um, onto the NXT show. We just don't have time for all the, the showbiz stuff. So they slot us into the seats very quickly. I don't get any of my entrance music or any of that stuff. Just get to the seat. Okay, we're live. Go. Um, so to actually come to SmackDown and have the full entrance and have people yelling boom and stuff, it was it felt pretty cool. And I used to, I remember my old entrance, I had my timing down. There it was it's kind of like a heartbeat sound as, as my music kicks in, a little bit of the guitar, and then there's a moment where I shout boom in there about 15 seconds in. My timing on that first day back was way off. I, I normally threw a bull hammer on the 
the first boom and I tried to throw it. I got the wrong time in. The boom came a few seconds later and I was like, wow, I'm really out of practice at this. But yeah, cool moment hearing that again. I kind of completely forgot that that was my theme and that was my entrance. And I was staring up at the big Tron and seeing my name on there. And yeah, it felt, felt kind of like 2010 again, the first time you have that experience. And it's nice to feel that that buzz once again. Well, I mean, like you said, you stepped away on your own accord. It's not like you were forced to retire or anything like that. And I know that in the time away, you've been very okay with just being not in the ring and just doing your commentary thing. But when you have something like that happen where it feels like 2010 again, does it make you, does it give you the itch a little bit more? Yeah, always. You know what? I've never ruled out getting back in the ring one day. I won't say it's high on my list of priorities i don't think i could physically do the full-time grind anymore i don't think my more mentally than than physically i think uh, my body could hold up for me. i'm still in very good shape i keep myself fit uh, but i think that mental grind of, of doing that job full-time for um for who knows how long would be very difficult for me at this point because i've i've just got other avenues now and other things i enjoy doing uh, most obviously the commentary side of things which i wouldn't want to give up um but yeah i'll say walking down to that ring hearing people yelling boom to me and you know it's it does start to make you think oh maybe i've got a little left in the tank but then that was my first night back and of course you'll remember the main event of that show which was gunther against sheamus and i'm seeing these two for three segments of the show beat the hell out of each other. I'm seeing it up close and personal. I'm seeing the bruises. And suddenly I'm like, you know what? Two hours ago, I felt like I wanted to get back maybe. Now I'm watching these two. I'm like, hell no. Because I know if I come back, they ain't putting me with the light guys. They're putting me in with Sheamus and Gunther and Drew. And I'm getting my ass whooped every week. So I'm like, eh, you know what? This commentary desk is a lot safer. I might stay here for a bit. It's kind of comfortable. Uh -huh. I got a water here. I got an energy <laughs> drink right here. That's a right, yeah. iPad of text during the commercial break. <laughs> I don't have to fake tan. I don't have to do any of that stuff. It's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because 100%, everyone knows if you come back, especially now that you're on SmackDown, it's 100% going to be you and uh, Sheamus and Drew McIntyre against Imperium. Like, that's that's the match yeah. that people want to see. <laughs> I mean, I, which will inevitably end up with Sheamus giving me a bro kick. I already know how this whole arc of storyline will finish <laughs> because every time I had any interaction with Sheamus across my entire career, I always ended up with his big size 14 boot right in my nose. So, yeah, I already know where that one's going, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll let them pitch it to me, but in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, how long till that bro kick comes? <laughs> just, he, just for fun. He just, like, for old time's sake, he would 100% do oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know all about it, mate. <laughs> has there even, like, in the whole, you can be back a couple of years now, like, has there been any conversation of even them being like, hey, do you want to make a Royal Rumble appearance? Has there, like, been any conversation whatsoever about, like, if you want, just tell us? Yeah, nothing at all. And I've been, um, I was quite adamant when I came back, when I signed my um, original deal, um, that I didn't want to be taking bumps. I didn't want to be doing anything other than um, the commentary. I think if I pulled somebody aside and said to Triple H or Shawn Michaels or whoever it may be, hey, I would be interested in doing that, I think they would be receptive to hearing me out, but it's not something I've done. It's not something they've approached me with, um, and I'm quite happy with that for now anyway. Well, I feel like like when Pat McAfee comes back, are you just going to give him your seat? Or cause I feel like that might be a match right there, like you versus Pat, figure out <laughs> who gets to keep that seat. Well, 
10 years ago, I would have fancied my chances against Pat McAfee. I'm very rusty, and I think he's proved in his, his several escapades in the ring so far that he can really go. So I feel like that's another L for old Wade Barrett if I did get in the ring with McAfee right now. I'd need to have a few warm-up matches before I tried to take on somebody of that stature. So, yeah, if he wants the, if he wants the chair back, I think I'm going to have to, you know, politely give it to him and, and try and make my way back to NXT. Maybe fight Booker T. He's, he's as rusty as I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, speaking of SmackDown, uh, well, t- let's talk about some of the storylines going on on SmackDown right now. What did you think of Bray Wyatt's return promo? You know what? I loved it. It was exciting seeing him come back at Extreme Rules, kind of out of the blue. There have been some rumors on social media. Um, I wasn't at that particular show, but of course I was there last Friday at SmackDown. I didn't know what to expect. The, the, the funny thing is we get a run sheet as, commentary, as the, the commentary team. We know exactly which matches are coming up, and uh, we knew that final segment, segment 11, the end of the show, was going to be the Bray Wyatt return. I had no information in that script or in that, that run sheet about what he was going to say. I'd seen no rehearsals or anything like that. So I had no idea. So I was open mouth like the rest of us. I wasn't expecting at all to see what we saw from Bray Wyatt, which was was a very human and vulnerable side of him. It's just something we've never come close to seeing before from him. Um, And then what the hell was going on with that face on the the big screen uh, interrupting him? I'm intrigued to see where we're going next on that one. Um, I genuinely have no clue. And it's kind of one of the cool parts of being a commentator is when you get surprised like that and you you get some genuine reactions. We were staying very quiet throughout the whole thing. We didn't want to take away from it, but um, it's cool as a commentator to, to get that surprise and have questions in my mind and not have all the answers, just like our fans. I'm really intrigued right now. It makes me want to watch next the next week. It makes me want to see what he's going to do. And so, yeah, that promo, I also wasn't expecting him to kind of just like be a version of uh, closer to himself. Yeah, and I think that's one of the best things that's happened over the past few months in WWE is that we're constantly guessing. Um, you know, you get these random returns of people you never thought you'd see again or who, who had been cut maybe three months earlier and suddenly they're back. And I've called it online the unpredictable era. Uh, and to me, it's one of the coolest things about it. And I remember as a fan during the Attitude Era when I was 16, 17, 18 years old and I couldn't turn away the the most appealing thing about it to me was I couldn't wait for next week because I had no clue what the hell was going to happen on the show. And uh, that's, I feel, something we're getting back to now on Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. Yeah, absolutely. I'm As a Attitude Era kid myself, I felt like this whole Bray Wyatt thing was very reminiscent of like Jericho coming back or when The Undertaker became the American Badass. Just like stuff that made you go like, oh, what's... What's that about? Like, I want to know what that's about. So, yeah, I agree. And speaking of returns and switches and changes, uh, I'm sure you were happy to also see that Max Dupree became L.A. Knight again. Oh, hell yeah. One of my favorites from NXT, man. I've uh, sung his praises now for the best part of probably 18 months since he arrived in NXT. He's a guy who should have had the spotlight on him for the past 10 years. One of those rare cases that a guy has managed to slip through the cracks. Maybe he wasn't the right face at the right time at various points in his career, but I'm thrilled for him that he hit so many home runs in NXT on this most recent trip there. And it's about time that the world, if they hadn't seen him before in NXT, the world got to witness just how great he is. One of the best entertainers, one of the best mic men where I think we have in the entire industry. Uh, and yeah, I'm his cheerleader. So very happy to see him back. 
Um, the guy's a damn megastar, and he's going to be uh, really, really big for WWE over the next few years. What about Sami Zayn? Are you uh, are you on board with everybody else and him being one of the most entertaining people in WWE right now? Oh, okay. I thought you were going in a different direction. Yeah, you're 100% completely entertaining. I'm not necessarily on board with him being the Bloodline's best guy or be, being this honorary use. He's, uh, there's something incredibly suspicious about the whole setup. I like Sami Zayn a lot. Brilliant entertainer, brilliant in-ring performer. Um, something doesn't feel right about Sami Zayn in the Bloodline to me, and he might not appreciate me saying that. I feel like there's going to be a twist in the tale sooner or later. He seems to be sowing some division within family here, what Roman sees in him. Um, is different to perhaps what I see in him. I'm a little more skeptical about his motivations for joining the bloodline. So I'm very interested to see where that whole storyline plays out. I'm sure if he heard that, he would say that's not very oozy of you to suggest. But <laughs> I'm not an oozy guy. I already told you that. I like to stay away from human beings. I'm the least oozy <laughs> guy on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I, that, speaking of intrigue, that's another one where I go like, I want to know where that's going. I'm so intrigued as to like what's happening there, what's going to go on in, with Sami Zayn because there's so many options. It's either, like you said, he's up to no good or he actually does have good intentions. I don't know. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying being along for the ride. Uh, who, do you think, who do you think would win in a match between the Bloodline and 2010 Nexus? <laughs> oh man i would love to say 2010 nexus but let's face it we didn't win many matches did we? <laughs> unfortunately which is one of the biggest crimes in the history of professional wrestling i'm sure most people would agree with me on that one um i i would have to say the bloodline i really hate admitting that because nexus is something i am very proud of despite the fact we have a pretty poor win-loss record um, but the Bloodline, they've been as dominant as anybody in the history of professional wrestling. They're right up there with D-Generation X and, and the NWO for me. And uh, maybe Nexus is that next tier down from that. Do you, so you look back on that period of your career with fondness, I take it? I have to. You've got to remember um, a couple of things. Number one, that was an avenue for me to go from a guy who had dreamed about being a WWE superstar for many, many years and had scratched and clawed and spent the last few years of his life living with cockroaches and driving a car around Tampa Bay, the one of the hottest places in the US. And my car, I couldn't afford one with, AC, with air conditioning. So I was just sweating bullets all the time. So to suddenly go from that life to being, okay, I'm now earning some good money and, and being a star. Um, number one, that was huge for me. So just that change of lifestyle that came with it and um, achieving those dreams and, and being a WWE superstar is something I was very proud of. And on top of that, that was such a big moment in time in WWE that you see a lot of people coming up from the developmental systems over the years who debut on TV, they don't really get any traction and within a few months they've gone. And there was a lot of people from FCW around that era who had that experience of debuting, losing a couple of matches and, and essentially being cut. Um, but that moment in Nexus for me, as bad as it kind of petered out towards the end, it really set me up to have the run that I had for the next six or so years on WWE, continue and embed myself as a WWE superstar, and then continue now in my role as a commentator. I mean, to be in the position I'm at, I had to have had a career of some significance in WWE in order to be eligible to be sitting in the seat I'm in now. And uh, um, that's 
all really stems from the success, certainly initially, of that Nexus group and, and what we did there. I like how you keep adding that little asterisk at the end of like, in the beginning, in the beginning. Yeah, the beginning. it started so well, didn't it? Probably the first two or three months I thought were brilliant. And then um, it rapidly, I think, uh, degenerated from there and, and went downhill, which if we could go back in time, I think with the brain and the confidence I have now, I think I would have been a bit more vocal and a, a bit more forthcoming in knocking on certain people's doors and explaining to them why they were making a big mistake in some of the decisions they were making. Um, but, you know, the body I had as a younger man with the brain I have now would have been the perfect combination, but I'm sure many people in any industry would probably say something similar. Yeah, you. oh no, you always see the people online who go like, oh, well, why did they just say something? Like, you hear Stone Cold on his podcast just say, go talk to them, and it's like, well, it's not that easy just to do that, yeah, like, you know? It's, it's, it's definitely easy when you're Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> but uh, yeah, when, when you're a bunch of nobodies up from developmental, who, even during Nexus, we weren't even allowed in the locker room. We were changing in the hallways, really? and we really had no equity. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who, like I said, Three months before Nexus, I was living in a house that was full of cockroaches. It was all I could afford. And, you know, okay, you could go knock on these doors, upset everyone, and then essentially get fired. Or you could kind of go with the flow. You've got to pick your battles. And um, certainly at that point in time, none of us in Nexus were in any position financially to be, you know, risking our future and, and the security that would come with a, a run with WWE. So um, it's easy now when you look back to say, oh, I wish I'd done that. And maybe me now, I would be able to do that. But there's a bunch of wide-eyed kids who were very job scared at that point in time. It was a hell of a lot more difficult. Well, you hear about like someone like The Miz who pissed people off and or someone off, and then he had he couldn't change in the locker room. How come you guys weren't allowed to change in the locker room? Yeah, genuinely, it was one of the dumbest things that I've experienced in my time in WWE. There was a person who was put in charge of us, who is no longer with the company, who decided that it would be um, appropriate for a faction of guys who were attacking the company um, to not be allowed in the locker room, which would absolutely make sense because in terms of Nexus, we were coming out of the crowd. We were perceived as outsiders who hadn't earned contracts in WWE. Um, so it kind of made a bit of logical sense. That, yeah, yeah, but you did actually have a contract in WWE. It's so, so sure, like... sure, but we, but we were we, we were also attacking all the other superstars constantly. So it kind of made sense. Okay, these guys shouldn't be um, regular WWE superstars, right? They shouldn't be seen with the other superstars outside of the arena. The problem I have with it is, look, you're not actually filming us changing in the locker room. You're not filming the locker room itself. So nobody has any clue that we're changing in hallways instead of the locker room, apart from basically the people who work within the company. So why are we doing this? Why am I main eventing Survivor Series? Why are we all main eventing SummerSlam? Uh, yet I'm not eligible to step in the locker room here. I've got to change in the hallway um, as you know, dinner ladies and, and catering staff and cleaners are like walking past while I'm putting my gear on. I'm like, this is this is stupid. There's no benefit to this. There's no payoff for this whatsoever. So, again, something that I was frustrated with at the time, but not in a position to really go and rattle some cages about. Man, so wait, how long? When did you guys finally get allowed into the locker room? So I think we finally got in the locker room. It was probably when um, Nexus kind of broke apart around about the end of December 2010, which was probably six or seven months into our run. And then a 
few of us moved over to SmackDown as the core, and that was the point. Okay, you guys are now eligible to step into the locker room. So great, man! What a what a big payoff that was. That really enhanced the storyline. Thank you guys, and then I was in the locker room after that. So yeah, yeah very very silly. It was kind of endemic of some old school attitudes but from some of the people who were in charge back then and not something i personally ever agreed with but that's how it was and that's the the game you had to play back then there's one faction who shouldn't have been in the locker room the nexus should have been in the locker room the core shouldn't have been in the locker room you know? <laughs> i agree with that oh what a what a downslide that was from the highs of nexus and suddenly i'm in the core well it's still to this day i, I beat myself up about how that happened <laughs> Well, we'll we talk- can laugh about it now. We, we can laugh about it now. Yeah, I figured it was okay to make a core joke this mm. late. You know, it's it's not like it's too soon at this point. <laughs> oh, I'm numb to it at this point. I've heard it all. Believe me. <laughs> well, we'll we'll go back to the beginning of Nexus a little bit. Like, what what do you remember most about the day of that initial invasion angle? Um, so it was interesting because I'd won NXT season one the week before. Yep. Um, all we knew as as guys on NXT season one was that one of us out of the eight was going to win the show uh, and get a contract to be a WWE superstar. The rest of us, we had no idea what the remaining seven were going to do. So I knew I was good. I'd won NXT season one. I'm good. I'm getting a contract. And they brought me to Raw. Uh, and then they, all the other guys were texting me, hey, we're coming to Raw too. And I didn't really know what they were planning. And most of the day, we didn't know what they were planning. We were in Miami for it. We were very excited by it. Wow, we're, we're getting a big opportunity here. This is very cool. Especially the other seven guys who thought they might be on the scrap heap. They suddenly rose, wait a minute, we're in the, we're in the main event here. We're attacking John Cena. My, my career might be okay after all. Give me that armband. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And we, they handed those out. They didn't really explain what the end was at that point. It was just, we want you guys to wear these. And okay, whatever. So it was kind of, they, they gave us as little information as they could. We didn't realize at that point how crazy it would look on TV with us smashing the ring up and pulling back the canvas and pulling out the boards and tearing the ropes down. Now, you're going to remember as young wrestlers for the previous, I think I'd been wrestling about six years at that point, and most of the other guys were similar one of the things you have to do as an up-and-coming wrestler is put up the ring before the show, take the ring down. So we'd seen a a half-destroyed ring a million times at that point. It was completely normal to us, but I don't think the WWE Universe at any point had ever seen a ring other than one that was in perfect condition. You know, the the show starts in perfect condition, the show goes off air, it's still in perfect condition. Occasionally, once in a blue moon, the ring, there'll be a stump where the ring collapses and some giant does a suplex off the top rope or something like that. Very, very rarely. But again, it didn't quite look how it looked when we smashed the thing up. So that was something that was I was kind of numb to at first until we watched it back um, and saw the reaction of the crowd and how they were responding, the shock look on their faces and the utter carnage that was out there. So it was one of those really rare events in professional wrestling where something that had never been seen before was actually done. Um, and that was really the, the trashing of the ring um, which had never been captured on TV before. Yeah, I. It's funny that you say that about the the ring always being such like in pristine condition because I was at SummerSlam when Brock Lesnar did the the tractor thing, and uh-huh. you don't realize it until you see the ring all out of whack, and then you're like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" Like the whole the whole <laughs> place was emptying out, the whole stadium leaving, and this the ring is like up diagonal in the air, and I was like, "This is so cool! Like this is not something you see." Uh, very often so I can imagine yeah like that I didn't think about it but that is partly why it's been something that 
has been that, that's lasted the test of time because I think I think it's going to be one of the most remembered angles of all time for forever. Like it's one of those things that people will remember happened or at least talk about in WWE history forever. Yeah, I still get it to this day. The two things I get approached about constantly, of course, is the, the Nexus attack and that day one, how amazing it was and how we shook the industry up and got everybody talking. And then, of course, the other one is I, I get people yelling, I got bad news all the time. They'll be driving past me. I'll be in the street and stuff like that. People love hitting that one. So those are my two things from my career that people I don't think will ever forget, which is pretty cool to have a couple of things like that. Lastly, here's a little bit of the SmackDown roundup and what I thought about this week's show. Let's get into the Usi start of the show. Speaking of Usi, we had the Brawling Brutes versus Solo Sokoa and Sami Zayn. And the finish saw Jay Uso help Sammy by pulling him out of the ring before Butch could moonsault onto him. Sammy was pissed about this because he was clearly awake and ready to reverse this maneuver. And while arguing with Jay about it, ringside Ridge plowed the bloodline down. Sammy then got back into the ring and got rolled up by... <laughs> I wrote... The wrong name down here multiple times. I wrote Pete Dunn down here multiple times. Oops. <laughs> Got rolled up by Butch. After the match, Jay and Sammy kept arguing. But Solo and Jimmy appeared to side with Sammy in the situation because they're getting mad at Jay Uso too. And that's when Roman Reigns' music hit. And out came the head of the table looking pissed off. Now, uh, I did, before we get into this Roman, you know, bloodline business, first we can just talk about this match. Good stuff here. Um, I really, you know, I, I, I think that Ridge and Pete have really grown some good chemistry as a team. I think that even, you know, without Sheamus there, I, I, people are into them. People are into what the Brawling Brutes are doing right now. People are feeling butch. No one's annoyed about the name change anymore. They're gelling together as a team. And I like everything the Brawling Brutes are doing. I'm not sure. I couldn't. I, I felt like that music was new, but I could be wrong. I uh, could be wrong. I know it sounds like Seamus music, but it had a little bit of different vibe to it. Either way, um, it's always good to have another team in the division that you can count on, like the Brawling Brutes. Pete Dunne, obviously is someone who is a veteran of, of wrestling at this point, even if he's not a veteran of the main roster. Someone you can count on to have good matches when 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 asked upon, when called upon to do so. And so, uh, good stuff here. Solo Sokoa continues to prove his worth in quick time. Sami Zayn, obviously, fun to watch. So this was good all around. No complaints here whatsoever. And smart to give the win... To the Brawling Brutes, obviously, Sheamus, I didn't do a roundup last week because I was leaving for Vegas, but, you know, Sheamus gets taken out last week. We're clearly heading to the Bloodline and Brawling Brutes in a full-blown uh, feud where it's got to end with Roman versus Sheamus. That's where I think this is all going towards once Sheamus comes back. I'm guessing that would be after Crown Jewel since Roman already has Logan. So if that's the case, which in my opinion, I'm, I, I would say I strongly believe that it is, smart 
to give a win to the brawling brutes here because all it does is add further credibility to their team, even if it's just a roll-up win on Sami Zayn. It helps when they get to Brawling Brutes versus the Bloodline. Now, like I said, Roman Reigns' music hit. Out comes the head of the table looking pissed off. And then after the break, Roman asks for the mic. But the crowd surprisingly begins to chant for Logan Paul. And I think that we as wrestling fans have kind of said like, oh, well, wrestling fans love everything that Roman's doing so much now. It's not the Roman of old. So there's, it's going to be hard. Myself, I'm, I'm guilty here. I was one of the people saying this where I was like, I don't know. Can Logan get people to cheer for him? It, to me, you know, you see, you see what's going on with like something like this weekend where, you know, his brother is, his brother is, um, you know, rest, wrestling, <laughs> is fighting uh, against Anderson Silva. And I still think he's kind of the heel going into it. And so I think people do typically view them as heels but this crowd was chanting for logan paul so logan does appear he does appear to be turning the crowd in some way towards his favor which is good it means wwe is doing the right things you know they're, they're doing the right things with logan paul and, and getting people to cheer for him which i would not have expected uh he then so then roman says if you two are going to act like kids, you'll be treated as such. So he wants everything laid out between them so they can move forward. So first, Sammy says he doesn't understand what's going on either since he likes Jay, but Jay can't seem to stand him. And he's like, dude, everybody seems fine but you. And he tries to shake hands, but Jay says to get it out of his face. He doesn't like anything about Sammy, especially his honorary sure He says, you don't belong here. You're not part of our bloodline. Use a fake ass ooze. <laughs> that line made me laugh just because it was such like a disrespectful thing to say. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like a, kind of like a gasp. And this whole time, you know, Roman is just kind of standing in front of them in case things get out of line. He's not even really reacting to all the things being said. But then... Uh, you know, after this, Sammy says the tribal chief said that he wants peace. What are you doing? And Jay reacts saying, I don't give a damn what the tribal chief wants, which instantly prompts an angry reaction from Roman. The crowd's like, oh, the whole bloodline, you can see their faces. They all have different reactions. Reigns then turns slowly while the rest of the group looks on. Uh, and before he can, you know, lay out an ass whooping to Jay or or punish him for what he said. Sammy intervenes, says Jay didn't mean that. It was really wrong, but Jay has been going through a lot lately. Lately, he just hasn't been very oozy. <laughs> this part eventually well before I say that, Roman finally says if he doesn't if, if Jay doesn't get his act together, he might make Sammy an actual Uso. Sammy Uso, no longer honorary, Justin Uso. And this whole, this this was just amazing from a pure entertainment standpoint. But most of all, like, even if they hadn't been corpsing, it would have been funny. But the corpsing going on here was next level. Sammy, when he dropped that line saying that Jay just lately hasn't been very Uso, 
you can see if you go back and watch the video, everyone try to like contain themselves. Even Jimmy in the background, he slowly covers his mouth. You know, Paul is trying to contain his smile. Roman is to him, but he he just can't. And then when he says, then when Roman himself says, "Oh, is it, you know, he's not Usi," you can just see all of them. They just can't stop laughing. It's like a, it's like I'm watching. Uh, it's like watching Jimmy Fallon do an SNL sketch back in the day, where he they were all just laughing so hard the whole time. And yeah, okay, maybe that's not the reason why I say I loved it, but it is. It is. I don't care. It's not often that we see wrestlers breaking like that. And the fact that Sammy can get these serious ass dudes to all break over saying something as stupid as Usi is so good to me. Like I. I had to refrain from using the word Usi in my daily life in my daily life with people who don't watch wrestling because I know they'll have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. But it's such a good word. It's so good. It's so dumb and I love dumb and it's so good dumb. Like it's the most it's the best kind of dumb where I just can't help but laugh at it. Um yeah, the whole Usi thing is just it's just too funny to me. And and just seeing, you know, because I get where this storyline is going and they kind of got off track because they were laughing so much. But I don't care. In the grand scheme of things, it won't matter. What matters is that you tell everyone's having fun. That's what matters to me. You know, I think that for so long, everyone was walking on eggshells. It felt like when you were watching the show and everyone was so scared to do one thing that might be perceived as bad backstage but i think everyone's just having fun again and sammy just getting all the bloodline to break with Usi is perfect i love it <laughs> uh we had a video package after that for viking raiders with sarah logan saying that valhalla awaits i believe we saw both of the viking raiders now in this in this video package it's not just um it's not just ivar being repackaged i believe eric was in it now as well and I think that I be, let me re, let me backtrack. Not I think I want to say this. Um, I'm 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 very interested to see how the new how the the Viking Raiders are portrayed when they come back, because in NXT, you know, they were definitely positioned well, and they were they were they were. The, I liked the characters of the Viking Raiders in NXT. So, I think... I think that they will do better under Triple H. I'm just wondering how... You know, it, I'm trying to think of the right way of wording this. This is why I'm starting and stopping and stammering and trying to figure out the, the way I want to word this. But I think that when I watch this, though, I'm conf I feel like they just had a repackage as darker characters and i get that they want to get rid of the whole new and vicious viking raiders thing but they just had a repackage i'm also wondering how much you can really repackage guys whose characters are vikings like just give us the viking raiders you know i don't know if i need a million packages hyping their return or whatever i kind of liked what they were doing before but one, happy to see Sarah Logan is back with him. Well, it sounds exactly like Sarah Logan. I'm assuming it's Sarah Logan since she's married to Eric. And I'm just, uh, yeah, I just, um, I like the Viking Raiders. So I just, in my opinion, I don't know if they need a ton of video packages to reestablish them. 
Um, I think that they can just have good matches and be themselves. However, I realized that the some people were turned off by the new and vicious thing and that it might be a good idea to just show that they're vicious and scary and dark Vikings rather than, um, you know, continually being said. But I don't know. I think I just want to watch them wrestle. I want to watch them wrestle again. So uh, maybe Eric's still injured and that's why they're doing this. But, um, yeah, it hasn't quite hooked me like I would have liked. I just, I just want to see them back in the ring. I want to see them wrestling again. Um, well, I scrolled so far away from my notes in that part. Oops, <laughs> excuse me. After that, we had Maximum Male Models versus New Day. New Day point out the similarities between Maximum Male Models and Tyler Breeze and Rick Martel and Billy and Chuck, and then they ultimately win with the Midnight Hour. Not a lot to chew on here. Match was fairly short, fairly standard. But uh, I will say that Masse's uh, mustache, pretty, pretty fabulous. <laughs> I like it. But also, you know, I don't think that maximum male models need to be treated as a serious team. It's not bad to have a comedy team that loses and stuff. Um, you know, it's good to have a few teams around like that that, that are just, you know, for, for comedy purposes. So I got no problem with any of this. I, I'm I'm much happier about New Day being taken more seriously as competitors again, though. That's that's kind of how I feel about it. Like I think that talking about their legacies and stuff like that, and I just think that it's it, they're they're being positioned in a more respectful manner again. Sonia is asked backstage if she plans to answer Ronda's open challenge, but Sonia instead turns her attention to Liv Morgan. Liv then once again attacks out of nowhere, and they fight until being separated. Later in the show, it was announced we get we're getting a no DQ match between these two next week. Guessing Liv is going to win that one to get some of her momentum back after losing the title. Um, this is another thing that was kind of copy and paste from other things that we've seen on SmackDown recently. Um, we saw this last week, and, and maybe, or however long ago it was, and not last week, because I didn't do one last week, so two weeks ago, and uh, this that one was better, because at least like Liv jumped off of something cool, so there really wasn't a lot to, to digest here, uh, similar to what they've been doing with these two, but then, after that, we did have something big happen, but before I get to that, let's have a quick commercial break. Okay, so next, Ronda comes out. Ronda Rousey comes out for her open challenge. Ronda heals it up on the mic, saying that only greats can recognize greatness, and you're all too mediocre to even know what you're looking at. She then says, who's feeling lucky tonight? And surprisingly, the music of Emma hits. Former NXT superstar, former WWE superstar, uh, Tennille Dashwood from Impact and ROH. Uh, she's back in WWE. And honestly, man, before we even get to the match, I'm really happy to see her back. I always felt like she was awesome in NXT. People loved what she was doing in NXT. And it just always felt like Vince, did, it, it, to me, just from a fan perspective, it just didn't feel like he understood the character as much as Triple H did in NXT. Or just didn't see as much in it. 
And I always felt like she was one of the people in in WWE who there she was one of the first NXT call-ups that was kind of botched. Could have been a lot bigger than she was. Um there was the Emelina stuff. There was other stuff that happened along the way. But I just always felt like she could have been a bigger deal than she was. So I was really happy to see her back. You know, after you know, she's been gone. I think it was like exactly five years I saw. I think it was like a couple days difference of when she's released to when she returned. And you know what? She's someone who has persisted since getting released. I respect so much when someone gets released and 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 just keeps keeps hammering at it, keeps pushing on, keeps living their dream outside of WWE and just keeps hustling so that eventually when the time comes again, they're ready for it. And, and, and I, I love that. I love that because that's really what she's done. She's really been, you know, killing it still. She's been doing lots of good stuff in impact. She's been, she's been, uh, you know, still has a social media presence and I think she still has a fan base. And so I think that it was a smart decision to bring her back once her contract with Impact expired. I think that she can definitely bring something to the women's division still. I think that the more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, more uh, seasoned talent that we have in those roles, we, I say we, WWE has in those roles, the better it will be for us. Now it's we, uh, for us, the viewers. So I think it's good all around to have Emma back. And honestly, like, they were really hyping up her accomplishments from NXT back in the day. It was mentioned that she was one of the women's wrestling trailblazers when NXT women were first coming up. And this is true, despite her not getting much credit for it over the years as time passed. And I really thought it was cool that Emma got a surprising amount of offense in, considering that she hasn't been on WWE on WWE TV in years and was against Ronda Rousey, who is one of the top women in the entire company. And, like, like Ronda had to hit her with an eye rake with the ref's back turned in order to hit her finisher and then lock in the arm bar. But she had to cheat to win because Emma was putting up such a fight against her. And that's pretty big. That's pretty big for Emma. Emma, you know, when she was around before, I don't know if she was even... Um, you know, sh- shown in that light as a, as a strong competitor... I don't know if she was ever really, you know, treated as such. And here, like, she's putting it, you know, putting work in with with Ronda Rousey, who is an MMA legend, who is a legit fighter. And Emma's in there hitting the the Emma Might sandwich on her, which I missed being able to say that name. Such a good name for a move. And it looked cool. I love that move when she runs into the corner doing that. And Ronda, too, in this match was was busting out some interesting offense, doing a new uh, submission move on the apron, little fancy kicks that she was trying to do, little judo kicks and st- or whatever. Ju- ju- like she was kicking around, doing some some karate or whatever you want to call whatever it was. I don't know. I probably have the wrong terminology here, but she was definitely throwing some kicks about. Um, and then Emma had that cool reversal where she did the wheelbarrow suplex lots of good stuff man like really cool to see emma i've said cool a lot but i can't think of another word to describe it just cool because like once again like these little things like add up you know when you're not releasing people anymore and you're just hiring people that fans never stopped 
liking, it's great. Then bring. I don't know what his contracts are like, but if you're bringing back all these people, there's one person who I'm wondering what his contract. Where what like? There's one person I want to see back in WWE with all the people that are getting brought back, and that is Zach Ryder, Matt Cardona. I want to see him back in WWE. Never should have been released in the first place, but the guy has continued to prove himself outside of WWE for years. For years. He's had some of the best feuds on the indies just by acting like a WWE star still. Would love to see Matt Cardona back in WWE. Zack Ryder. Um, just another one that, that I was thinking about when seeing all these, you know, and seeing all these returns happen because if Zack Ryder's music hits in the Royal Rumble, people are going to go nuts. Don't tell me they won't. They will. I know it. Let me let, just, just, just turn up the radio. <laughs> uh, backstage, Paul Heyman stops Jey Uso from going into Roman's locker room. Uh, says he'll talk to Roman about getting revenge on Logan Paul for punching him. Uh, then after that, we saw Shayna congratulate Ronda backstage. And as they're talking, Natalia walks up to say she would have been champ if she had answered the open challenge in time. And this prompts Shayna to quickly choke her out. And Ronda says, that's what we needed. Now, let me talk about this. Yes, this is something I've been wanting. I've wanted to see this forever. For so long, it feels like, dude. We're finally going to get the duo of Ronda and Shayna. Ronda as champion. Shayna being her enforcer. Will we see the other four horsewomen? I know one of them is in is in a, a different company. I don't know what her contractual status is either. I don't know. But I do I would like to see the four horsewomen. God, that would be sick. If we could finally get the four horsewomen versus the four horsewomen. If Triple H can pull off that match and make it happen. It's one of those dream matches I want to see no matter what anyone says about it. I want to see it so bad, and it's really hard to make happen at this point. But if there's anyone who can make it happen, it's Triple H, and I have faith in him. <laughs> um, but either way, the fact that we're getting half the four horsewomen, two horsewomen as a duo together running roughshod is going to be sick. I'm super into it. I think that Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler are awesome, big fans of both, been fans of them for a while, they're bad ass as hell, I was gonna, gonna cuss for a second, but I stopped myself, they're badass, dude, they're badass, they're gonna be kicking ass, and eventually, there's gonna have to be some baby face that is strong enough to beat them, I don't know who that is, but to me, it's very much like a Brock Lesnar situation at this point, with Ronda holding that title now, when someone finally does it, when someone takes it off for now, it's gonna be a big deal. Next, we have Legato Del Fantasma versus Hit Row and Shinsuke Nakamura. Swerve Suki for the, <laughs> Swerve Suke for the night. Uh, the finish saw AJ Francis run up the ropes. Excuse me. I'm talking a little fast here. The finish saw AJ Francis run up the ropes, Lucha style, then dunk on Santos Escobar on the top of his head. Shinsuke then hit the Kinshasa. And uh, and got the pinfall victory on Joaquin Wild. I liked that move that AJ did. Yeah, I realize you know getting hit on top of your head like that might not might not hurt the most, but it's no different than uh, <laughs> than old school 
very similar, but it looks just as cool when a guy runs the ropes lucha style like that. I wouldn't mind seeing him do that more often. That's a fun-looking move. I think that I'm kind of surprised to see Legato lose so quickly in this. Um even with Shinsuke Nakamura helping Hit Row out, um, I just kind of, it kind of feels like, okay, was this feud already over? I don't know. Felt like, I don't know. It kind of felt like that might end things to some degree. And and, and it really didn't even get started. So I don't know. I, uh, I was kind of confused at this match, to be completely honest. And it just having kind of like a clean finish there. Um, I do like seeing Shinsuke Nakamura being positioned as a big deal again. I think Triple H knows that he can be uh, a player in 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 the in the game here. He can that he is definitely one who can be one of the top talents if given the opportunity. And you're seeing like a new fired up uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. He's kind of like kind of like feeling more of like that NXT Nakamura that wants to have a you know five star classic against Sami Zayn. And I'm feeling it. So cool to see Nakamura here. Just kind of surprised at uh, Legato losing just like that. Next, Roman Reigns is shown in his dressing room as Paul Heyman tries to remind him that it only takes one punch to get knocked out by Logan Paul. Gotta say props to Paul Heyman here. Props to Paul Heyman because I think most people... Looking at this on paper, I would say 99.9% of wrestling fans looking at this on paper go, okay, well, obviously Logan Paul's not winning. Why do I even, why would I ever believe that he could, why would I ever believe that he has a chance to beat Roman Reigns in his third match ever? Paul Heyman did a good job of laying out all the reasons why you should at least maybe buy into it a little bit. And if you didn't believe in all the things he did to sell you on that, you know, Brock won the UFC title in only his third you know, fight. Um, you know, it takes one punch. He's knocking people out. Broke someone's, you know, bro- broke his hand once punching. All these things, and then they get, but the, but you know, if those things all don't work for you, I like that you got the classic pro wrestling out of. He's got steel in his hand. He's got steel input into his hand from when he was injured once smart it at least gives the slight ability to to give you an illusion heading into the match that logan paul stands a chance la knight is being interviewed backstage after that but he gets interrupted by ricochet who threatens to shut him up if he keeps talking like he's god's gift to smackdown this was short setting up a feud but one of those things where I say I think LA Knight and Ricochet both have potential to move up the card. I wanted Ricochet to get more of a push, and it's been slow to get there. But putting him in a, in a program with a, an extremely charismatic Mike man like LA Knight um, gives him the opportunity to talk on the mic, which he has not had a lot of up to this point. And if people want to say that you know, mic work might be one of his negatives, which I don't agree with, this is is possibly going to be his opportunity to show everyone they're wrong. If he can hold himself on the mic and he can stand up to LA Knight in, in the program, I think that I think it would do a lot of good for his character going forward because we don't get to see him get an opportunity to either prove people wrong 
or get a chance to to get more reps in to get better at it, I think this is going to be his opportunity. I'm looking forward to that. Next, we had Karrion Cross versus Madcap Moss. Karrion wins a fairly standard match here. Then chokes out Madcap afterward with the cross jacket while cutting a promo on Drew McIntyre. Cross says that Moss, Cross Moss, Cross says Moss put up more of a fight than McIntyre did and that when they're in a steel cage together at Crown Jewel, history will repeat itself. This one, um, you know, I think that Karrion Cross should be in more matches like this where he gets to showcase his various moves, his energy, his, his whole thing in the ring. People need to see it more. Um, and this wasn't too long to where it looked like he was struggling to beat Madcap. I think it was the right length. Um didn't need to be, you know, he but, but although I personally th- would like to see him more dominant in matches, I don't think I think it was maybe, I guess it was maybe a little too long for my liking, but I understand not having him just straight up job out Madcap Moss, someone who they've also invested a lot of TV time into. Someone who also um has potential to ra- to rise up the card as well. So, I think that uh, I understand the reasoning, but um both were a little because Moss was also protected here, I don't know if anything was really gained out of this other than the fact that afterwards, Cross looked like an absolute psychopath by cutting a promo while uh, while Madcap Moss was locked in the cross jacket. Made him look like a killer, and I like that. Lastly, after the break, Bray Wyatt makes his entrance to cl- oh, I thought that I had my computer muted. I apologize to all of you. Think you just got a notification? Uh, Wyatt comes out. Uh, crowd's chanting, "Welcome back!" He's laughing. Says when people do that, it makes him feel invulnerable and makes him want to do something crazy. He says he's not hiding behind a mask anymore. It's just me and you right now, and that's what he wants people to get used to. Bray Wyatt. The real man, the best version of him that will ever be. Bray then promises to do some spectacular things while he's here, and that for a majority of life, majority of his life, he's been completely out of control. He says, My emotions don't work like most other people's. I don't have control, and sometimes it can send me to a very dark place, a place where he doesn't feel anything at all. And he says that there's a part of him that likes that he's not afraid to do horrible things. And there will come another time when he's faced with some adversity and be asked to do something completely horrible. The lights go out. The masked man comes on the screen who we've seen as of late. And he says, who am I? I'm just a ghost from the man who sold the world, of of course. The person says, you killed the world. You sent him away. And when he says you sent him away, we see a flash on screen that looks like the fiend. He says, now you're just a shell of what you once were. And I say to revel in what you are. But you, sir, are a liar. You claim you don't wear a mask, but we both know that's not true, don't we? I can see you. You will never be able to hide from me, your Uncle Howdy. The person then tells, uh, or excuse me, he says, your Uncle Howdy, and that's the end. Uh, And, uh... I I should have mentioned too. The mask is creepy as hell, dude. Creepy as hell. Like this was so dark. Like he's like in a top hat with this like scary old man look. 
And I love it. I love it so much. I love it. I love it. Because to me, when I watch this, I feel like I'm watching... I shouldn't say that. Let me rephrase that. When I'm watching this, the past few weeks, I've kind of been in and out of some of these roundups because I've had important things happening in my life. But in wrapping all these things together, like, I just like all the intrigue and, like, it looks scary. Like, this this guy, excuse me, I say this guy. It's clearly Bray Wyatt in the mask. But I like that we're getting this, like, multiple personalities thing but it's not necessarily like it's not necessarily Bray Wyatt going through multiple personalities it's like different characters played by Bray Wyatt that have different personalities I don't think we're gonna see these people manifest in the real world I I just don't I don't think that's what's happening I think we're, I mean, it's hard to figure out if, if we're not going to see these people in real life, but the, try to figure out the right way of wording this. I just think that there's some deep stuff going on here, and I really like it. Like, I was someone who watched Lost back in the day. I loved it. Because with Lost, it would take me a week of looking at message boards and hearing what other people thought and talking it out with friends for me to finally come up with, like, what I think is going on. Or what I think this person was talking about this week. But if I had to guess, like, if I had to, without a week to be able to do that, like, just breaking it down to, like, simple things of, like, liar, man who sold the world, you know, the QR code which led to a thing that said liar a bunch, you know, saying, you know, the person saying you claim you don't wear a mask, but we both know that's not true, It just, yeah, I mean, like, it, 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 it seems like a multiple personality thing. And it seems like Bray Wyatt, it seems like the people in Bray Wyatt's brain, the personalities in Bray Wyatt's brain, are mad that he expelled the most powerful one, the one that gave them all their power, the Fiend. And they're all trying to convince him to bring the Fiend back. Like, I think... Unless it's trying to bring back something of all those characters. Like, I don't know. Because we're seeing flashes of stuff from when he was cult leader Bray Wyatt on screen. But we're also seeing flashes of Fiend stuff on screen at times. So, maybe it's both. Maybe it's like trying to bring back all his really evil powers. Whoever this Uncle Howdy is in his mind. They're trying to bring back all his super-powered characters, and he's trying to hold them back. He, When he left, he was able to figure out somehow. I know that there was a mental institution document that was in one of the QR codes once that maybe once he got released, he went to a mental institution, fixed himself, but now he's been brought back. He wants to be Bray Wyatt, the man, but all of his characters are fighting in his brain to to get back out because they're mad that they were expelled and he is wearing a mask. He's lying about being Bray Wyatt the man when they all know that they're in control and they want control back. That's how I'm looking at it. And damn, that's deep. I don't know. That's deep for wrestling. I know. 
but I really like it. I, I like all this stuff. I like thinking about it. I like thinking deeply when I'm watching pro wrestling. There's nothing wrong with that. It's awesome. And I got to say, you know, there's a lot of stuff, you know, SmackDown, there's a lot of building blocks in place, but it's slowly becoming like very older NXT. It's reminding me a lot of the older NXT with some of those people in place. We got the Bray Wyatts. We got an Emma. We got Karrion Cross. We got Legato. We got Hit Row. We got Sami Zayn. You know, we, we got Solo Sokoa. Like, we got, you know, Shayna Baszler. We've got, um, you know, just a lot of people. Viking Raiders. Um, just a lot of people that that helped NXT in its time that were all some of the stars of NXT. Shinsuke Nakamura. Pete Dunne. The show's slowly starting to be built around these guys. You know, Raw has a lot of the WWE superstars, quote-unquote. Um, Seth Rollins, Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, you know, all you know, all those people. Um, but they are starting to form two different vibes in, you know, post-Triple H. In, or, excuse me, in, in, a, in, a, in the first three months of a Triple H era, post-Vince. Um, you're starting to see two distinct vibes. Really being formed, NXT being more of the the wrestle the, the NXT you know pro wrestling sports entertainment show and you know WWE being Monday Night Raw being more of the classic what you'd remember from Monday Night Raw. But I but I am seeing a little bit of a divide between the two, and I'm digging it. Um, there's a little bit more of a of a wrestling vibe on on Friday Night SmackDown. So that's cool. I'm into that. All right, that's it. I'm done officially tapping out for now. Make sure you're back in this podcast feed Monday night for the full Raw Roundup. You won't want to miss it. I know you, if you're listening to these, you like the short little bits, but I promise there's more to listen to in the full episode. Monday evening, Raw Roundup. And also, Wednesday on the podcast, we got Butch on Out of Character, a guy who doesn't normally sit down and do a lot of 45-minute out of character conversations. But that's what we got from the man formerly known as Pete Dunn, now Butch. Lots of conversation that you guys are going to find interesting. So make sure you're back here on Wednesday as well. All right, that's it. I'm done. Like I said, officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this has been another Best Of.